the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Oh man, oh man, oh man. It's our second episode of 2019 and we are off to a great start because today we get to talk about one of my favorite places, one of the places that I find most fascinating in the world, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Welcome to Ridiculous History. My name is Ben. My name is Nolan. Ben, you got me a pretty dope hat from there. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, it's true, but I, I hope that I don't make our super producer, Casey Pegram envious it's just i saw the hat and thought of you and it was like it's not special if i get everybody the same hat casey only wears that one hat that says movies it's true it's a hat that says movies (laughs) casey on the case (laughs) yes uh i did go to i think we mentioned this on the show previously in august of 2018 i spent some time in uh, korea Uh, it was amazing. It was my first time. There's a lot of history there, and I was able to visit uh, the DMZ. This is not an episode about the DMZ. This is more, I think, about the strange things that can happen when a country is under tyrannical authoritarian rule and is largely isolated from the rest of the world. We've talked about this before in various podcasts. There are some universal human desires. You know what I mean? People love to be entertained. People love to have delicious food. People love to uh, feel influential in their circle and stuff. Um, But when it comes to certain industries, it's very difficult for every single country to make its own domestic version of that industry. Like it's really difficult to start a car industry. That's why there's there's a relatively small number of car companies that make cars for the rest of the world. It's also pretty difficult, or it was for some time, to start a film industry. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So (laughs) today's story touches on so many things. It touches on the film industry. It takes place in North Korea. It touches on the U.S. military. It touches on the idea of defecting to another country, which I think is fascinating. 
Have you ever uh, thought of defecting? Were you one of those people who said sometime over the past few years, I'm going to go to Canada? Is it called defecting? That would just be, I think that would just be uh, being a refugee. Yeah. Because to defect, at least in the way we're talking, you would have to be an active military Service member. member. Yeah. 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 And, and here's a question too. Don't you have to kind of have like a real good reason to be a refugee or to seek asylum or something like that? Right. Yeah. Uh, that your life is in danger for maybe your religious beliefs or maybe because of your sexual orientation, stuff like that. That you're suffering under some kind of totalitarian regime. Mm-hmm. Or if you are forced to return to the country, you will be murdered. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not... We're, low be it unto us to get political on Ridiculous History, but uh, <laughs> starting to feel like that, that could be the case for our country one of these days. <laughs> so, in the minds of most people outside of the DPRK or North Korea... It's it's an enigmatic country. We, for a long time, didn't know a ton about what happened there. We just knew that um, it was ruled by the Kim family, right? And that the Kim family and their inner circle, the military cadre, ran the entire country, literally ran it. And people, people had to um, publicly adhere to a very rigid ideology, right? One that elevated members of the Kim family to the status of deities or demigods, it seems like a weird place to move to. I mean, anybody who's ever moved in their lives, any of us who have maybe relocated to a different town or a different state or a different country, can realize how disorienting that is. So imagine if you are U.S. Army Sergeant Charles Robert Jenkins. You don't speak Korean, right? You don't particularly enjoy being in the military, uh, but you do love drinking. <laughs> you like knocking back a couple of cold ones with your buds. Yeah. Approx- a couple buds with buds. Buds with buds. Well put. Approximately, uh, in this case, 10. Uh, on January 4th of 1965, Sergeant Jenkins deserted his infantry company at the edge of the demilitarized zone, walked alone across a minefield, did not blow up, and defected to North Korea. Yeah, man, the part that really got me there, among the the multiple bonkers layers of the story, is walked drunkenly across a minefield. Yeah, so after 10 beers, walked is probably a charitable description. Yeah, which means he wasn't even being careful. He did, like, drunk boxing parkour across the minefield. Maybe it's one of those things, sort of like in the— Inspector Gadget cartoons where he just kind of bumbles his way and and doesn't get killed by all these various uh, pitfalls that could kill him. But by sheer luck, he happens to dodge every single one of them in some some kind of physical comedy pratfall screwball kind of way. Are you picturing this? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Whoa, but to do, folk, there's a, I missed the mine, you know? People are still scouting for active mines in the DMZ today. You were saying that, right? Yeah. So, uh, the fact that he made it is a a stroke of brilliant luck. Uh, What happens, though, when he does finally get into North Korea? Do they welcome him with open arms? (laughs) Well, not exactly. Um, yeah, they, this is a theme that you keep you see pop up because we're going to talk about a handful of defectors. There weren't a lot, but there were a few, and they all had they all shared a similar kind of result. They were forced to uh, hole up in some pretty inhospitable housing and spend 
copious amounts of time studying the writings or the principles of uh, Kim Il-sung, who is the patriarch of this uh, Korean dynasty, this North Korean dynasty. Yeah, the first supreme leader of North Korea from its establishment in 1948 until he died in 1994. And it's also known as the great leader. Uh, he was declared the eternal president of the republic in 1998. So technically, he still holds a governmental position after his death. So Jenkins is forced to... <laughs> Forced to do homework, forced to study a Juche philosophy for 11 hours every day. Tell me a little bit about Juche philosophy, Ben. Juche, it's interesting because it's, it's somewhat controversial. It's considered in the DPRK, Kim Il-sung's, his, his ideology, a revolutionary theory that was originally thought to be a variety of like Marxist-Leninist uh, thought while it incorporated these different ideas that were uniquely Korean in character. What eventually happened is that the North Korean government adopted this concept of Juche into a set of principles to justify policy decisions from the 1950s to today. Uh, it's got an emphasis on agricultural independence, lack of um, international dependencies, you know what I mean? Uh, this It's controversial, however, because this Korean-style socialism, the thing that it is on paper rarely makes it to what happens on the ground. You know what I mean? It's better in theory than it is in practice. Absolutely. So a lot of the stuff, and this might just be an, an issue of translation, a lot of the stuff in English is very, very dry and very process-oriented. It's, it's like a dusty philosophical tome and somewhat redundant. And Jenkins has to read this for almost 12 hours every day until he can recite the uh, the primary principles of Juche in Korean. That's right. And then he wasn't even offered a choice at this point. He was forced to become a North Korean citizen um, and was put to work uh, as an English translator and teacher. Um, and he also, uh, you're going to hear about this part a little later, along with some of these other folks, was an actor. But every move he made, as the police would say, Every move you make, every step you take, Supreme Leader is watching you. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. I thought that was well done. The words of Sting. Mm -hmm. He was also forced to marry a Japanese citizen who had been kidnapped by North Korea. Her name was Hitomi Soga. She was kidnapped in 1978 to be a, a slave teacher of Japanese language and customs for North Korean spies. The strange thing about this is that Jenkins, as you, as you mentioned, Noel, Jenkins became an actor, uh, but he became an actor in propaganda films. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental 
part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I I said El Camino (laughs) and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So it turns out that Jenkins found his strange career in propaganda films because the ruler, the son of Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, was a huge film buff, like huge Casey, more of a film buff than any of our mutual friends. Yeah, he has apparently like just a huge collection of physical media. And I read that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 pieces. Yeah. And most of them are bootleg because right. they they did not have a trade relationship with yeah. the United States. So they would have had to be smuggled or some kind of weird bootleg versions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's strange because North Korea actually does have a thriving animation industry now. And it's pretty solid stuff. But back then they wanted to make their own uniquely North Korean feature films. And one of the first things they did when they started making feature films is uh, they started making war stories, inspirational, nationalistic narratives. Propaganda. Right, propaganda. Mm -hmm. And for that, they needed convincing enemies. They needed someone to be depicted as agents of chaos from the American side. And they said, oh, look, we've got this guy. We've got uh, we've got this 
this uh, Sergeant Jenkins here, uh, and then they also realized that they had a couple of other defectors. That's right. We have a guy by the name of Larry Abshire who crossed the DMZ on May 28th at 19 years old. Then we have Private James Joseph Dresnock who followed Abshire's lead. I think it was three months later. Uh, and who else do we have, Ben? Then we also have uh, Joseph White who uh, slipped into North Korea in 1982. And we have Jerry Parrish who left for North Korea in 1963. These, these men gave different explanations for their motivation, right? There were some who said they were sold on the communist lifestyle, some just wanted to get away from their problems in the West, and some just didn't know what they were doing. You know what I mean? And it's not a situation you could undo easily. Yeah, Jerry Parrish didn't really give too many details other than to say that if he ever returned home, mm-hmm. his father-in-law would kill him. So I guess a reasonable solution to that is to, you know, defect from your country. Right. He seemed like he had a legitimate fear of his life. Which he wanted goes, to go off the grid. Goes back to the UN idea of pleading asylum or refugee status. Yeah, but this is not the same as that, right? I mean, this is very much like a, I am abandoning my country. I am leaving my post, mm-hmm. which would, you know, result in like court-martial or like treason charges, I would I would think, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it would. And this will bring us back to Charles Jenkins in a little bit. But we've got to tell you, uh, the, these guys, when they were cast in these propaganda films, they were playing evil Americans. And one thing that was amazing about this is over time, after several films, they became local celebrities That's in right. North Korea. Yeah, because it's a very insular country. So, I mean, they didn't really have that much access to or any to anything other than what was produced by the government. Mm-hmm. So they would have been uh, absolutely front and center, especially considering that they were like the only Americans around. Yeah. So, you know, they would have uh, made an impression. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have to say, without impinging their character too much, none of these guys who defected from the U.S. Army were paragons of military virtue. You know what I mean? There was one guy, uh, Absher, that we mentioned, who was notorious for being a pothead. He got caught multiple times getting high. Yeah. No shade on potheads. Sure. But, I mean, you don't do it willy-nilly while you're on your post. While you're at your job. Yeah, definitely you not. Know, unless your job is like you work for High Times or something. Sure. That's still around. Uh, or Vice Magazine. It's true. It is true. <laughs> so these guys are quickly involved in the most surreal sort of life. They're not just movie stars, right? They're also icons that can be used to antagonize other members of the U.S. military or South Korean military. They were Abshir and Dresnok, and then later Parrish and Jenkins were featured in propaganda magazines. They had put out a magazine called Fortune's Favorites that depicted the Americans smiling ear to ear, marveling at the joyous benefits of life of the DPRK. And they had things, they had different segments or columns. One was called Letters from Abshir and Dresnik, titled to the American soldiers south of the DMZ. And we've got a quick quotation here. Dear old fellow friends, enjoying warm welcome from the North Korean people, I put off the disgusting GI uniform and visited Pyongyang and other cities and villages to 
To tell the truth, the people in North Korea are enjoying freedom and happiness inaccessible to the working people of the United States. Now, please, don't be a victim for the Wall Street, but fight for your withdrawal from uh, South Korea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it sure sounds like—we we mentioned this a little bit, but all of these gentlemen experienced a very similar degree of indoctrination. Yes. And they were forced to, like—they uh, weren't fed properly. They were basically just forced to memorize this uh, these core principles um, and— I don't know, enough enough time isolated and, and alone. And I think weren't some of them forced to live together and kind of pitted against each other mm-hmm. in some kind of weird Hunger Games-y kind of scenario? Yeah, Abshir and Parrish had to live together. Jenkins and Dresnok also had to share a home while they were teaching English at a military academy. And this that excerpt that excerpt I just read is clearly not written by these guys. It's not written by Dresden. But your accent was so convincing, Ben. Thank you. That's because he did have an accent. He was he's still, I think, up to until his death, uh, had a trace of his rural North Carolinian accent. But what we see when we look at the way North Korea treated these defectors is um, very similar to what we see when people are indoctrinated in cults. One of the big things that every cult does is to bombard people with information. It can be senseless. It can have its own internal logic. The point is to remove the possibility of asking questions, just make people memorize and recite things. And then what's very clever about putting them in homes and kind of pitting them against each other is it makes it much more likely for them to accept their forced marriages because when they were forced to marry other kidnapped people, often from Japan or something, it was entirely uh, assumed by the government that these couples would reproduce and then they could use the um, quote-unquote, this is not a phrase we're using, they could use the quote-unquote ethnically ambiguous children as spies. They could blend in, you know what I mean? Absolutely, Ben, and I think it's interesting that you talk about the kidnapping aspect of this because this is a really interesting gray area to me kind of where it's like they are submitting themselves to this. They made the choice either (laughs) drunkenly or with some ideological kind of bent to cross that DMZ into this other country and, you know, toss off their uh, – the trappings of being an American. But they also probably didn't fully know what they were signing up for and then they were basically thrown into this indoctrination factory, you know, uh, and forced to live in subhuman conditions and turned into something that they were not when they made that choice. So, you know what I mean? It's like sort of like a weird – it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And some – like in the case of James Dresnock, he died happily in North Korea in 2016. He was unrepentant. He professed support for communism. He was the last living American defector in North Korea. He's also got the nickname Comrade Joe in DPRK because, again, he's a celebrity. He was featured in a film called Crossing the Line at South Korea's Pusan International Film Festival. And he says he feels at home in the film. He never regretted going to Korea. He seems very sincere about it. He says his life is better because he defected. And by North Korean standards, his his life was pretty good. But you can tell the lack of medical and dental care took a toll on him, like his front teeth are missing. Right. Is that something that he uh, acquired from North Korea, like from violence, or did sure. they just fall out? Uh, he also 
had a heavy, heavy uh, drinking and smoking habit. Mm. So it took a toll on him. Well, get this, Ben. Um, uh, th- that perspective is is one side of the coin. Uh, our boy Charles Robert Jenkins, who was kind of the he sort of spearheaded this whole thing. Yeah, um, you could say he actually escaped or was able to leave in two thousand four, quite recently to um, visit his mother. To, that's right, and he had uh, some slightly less sympathetic words or kind words to characterize the experience of these four men, if mm. I if I may. Oh, please. Um, Quote, we were all young, dumb soldiers from poor backgrounds. I had a pretty good military record, while the other three were pretty much total f***-ups as soldiers. The three of them, also like me, walked across the DMZ without really thinking about the huge consequences of what they were doing and without understanding what North Korea was really like. They were trapped there in North Korea. All of them quickly grew to hate the country and would have left in a second if they could have. What a sorry-ass little foursome we were. So, according to Jenkins, any expression to the contrary from any of these guys who he was intimately familiar with was either forced or a product of some kind of brainwashing. Yeah, and it makes sense. Also, North Korea is a very uh, homogenous, racist environment. The I, I believe it was Jenkins who says that he had only once been in the same room with the great leader Kim Il-sung and Kim snorted disapproval at Jenkins' Korean clothing and ordered him and all other Westerners to never again sully Korean clothing. So he wore a suit and tie afterwards. It's great detail on that story from The Atlantic. There's an article from 2013 called The U.S. Soldier Who Defected to North Korea by Graham Wood. I'd highly recommend checking that out. But as you said, Noel, Uh, Jenkins is a little bit different because after he spent nearly 40 years in North Korea, he got out. When he left North Korea in 2004, he was 64 years old. The army threw him in the stockade for 24 days. He got a dishonorable discharge. And then eventually he and his wife moved to Japan where he sold crackers. Yep. (laughs) Full circle? No, not really. Not really. No. It's no. it's weird though because he's still sort of a um an exotic icon, right? First in North Korea, now in Japan. Apparently, and did you hear this? In Japanese culture, uh he and Hitomi Soga's story about how they met and how they married and, and you know became a family is considered one of the great modern romances. Really? Yeah. I want to see a, you know, th- th- this is such a bonker story. Wouldn't yeah. this make a fun, like, kind of screwball, Coen Brothers-y kind of film? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, these two people uh, find love under these really weird 1984-esque Big Brother Orwellian conditions, and then they stick together and they eventually win their freedom. Apparently, when people walk into the shop, they start whispering to each other and they stare at Jenkins until he caves and says, all right, come on, you can take a picture with me. Photo is one of the only words he knows in Japanese. Interesting. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's, I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? 
I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. There's another soldier who was thought to have possibly defected to North Korea, a guy named Roy Chung. His story is pretty controversial. He was born in South Korea as Chung Ryu, and he moved to the U.S. with his parents in 73. He joined the Army when he needed college money. And here's the strange thing, Noel. He was nowhere near Korea when he disappeared. In 1979, he vanished from his unit in Germany, and three months later, the North Korean state radio announced that he had defected. The Pentagon and State Department say that's probably true, but his parents are still convinced he was kidnapped. Wow. No one knows what happened to him. He just disappeared. Well, Ben, this has been a, uh, a pretty incredible ride. 
Um, I think we have some pretty neat other kind of side stories uh, about some other interesting film-related um, North Korean tales that we could probably wrap with if you wanted to. I don't know that there's much more to say about these particular defectors. Well, nothing that's been uh, made public yet, right? The last defector that you will hear brought up in these sorts of lists is a guy named Joseph White, who is considered the sixth and possibly final U.S. soldier to defect to the DPRK. He uh, came aboard on August 28th, 1982. He shot a lock off a gate at the Korean DMZ and started walking through the minefields. His mom didn't believe it, first off. She said he loved this country, loved that uniform and everything about it. He was nothing but a gung-ho army and gung-ho Reagan guy. But back at his barracks, investigators found all these pro-North Korean leaflets and propaganda. His buddies were dumbfounded, and no one heard of him until 1986 when White's parents got a letter from someone in North Korea who said that they were friends with the soldier and that he had drowned in a river while enjoying a leisure time outing. So don't know what happened to him. We do know that North Korea produced a number of propaganda films, not just unsung heroes, not just that 1978 banger. Mm-mm. We have a little bit of a list. What what really stuck out to you on this on this list of propaganda films? Uh, well, I, maybe maybe this is necessarily a propaganda film, but I think this is a fantastic story um, that apparently Kim Jong Il um, had some directors, uh, very popular North Korean film directors who escaped to Hong Kong, um, kidnapped and brought back to North Korea and forced to make a uh, a ripoff of Godzilla. Yes. Paul Gasari. Um, and the plot of this is incomprehensible to me. But I, I love it. There must be some cultural thing that I'm missing here. But apparently the story, it's the story of a, of a small uh, doll made of rice that becomes a mythical creature um, and helps the peasants, the proletariat, overthrow a monarchy um, that is corrupting their land. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting that they would cast it from the perspective of the proletariat, right? Like the peasants doing an uprising kind of, right? Like that, that, how, does that, how does that serve the regime? You know, that's a, that's a complex question. That's fair. <laughs> that's a complex question. It's a matter of perspective and zeitgeist, isn't it? Uh, but you're right. Kim Jong-il was so interested in film that he, you know, oh, do we mention his book on the art of the cinema? No. <laughs> so he describes his tactics of using movies as educational tools to spread his ideals to the nation, sort of the way Saddam Hussein wrote those uh, historical fiction romance novels, which is also really weird. It's true. And I believe if you, uh, you want to get a little bit deeper dive into that, you can check out our pal Robert Evans' show, Behind the Bastards, where he does an episode specifically on those romance novels of Saddam Hussein. I did. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and we'll probably have Robert on the show again sometime soon, I think. I would love that. Uh, so Kim Jong-il's would-be film industry was entirely fueled by the kidnapping of directors, actors, other artists from South Korea, from Japan, these various places. It seems like he didn't understand that it was wrong to kidnap people. He just thought that was the way you hired people. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's also uh, Souls protests. There's Eternal Comrades, which is uh, <laughs> it's based on this... Um, this situation in 1946, a terrorist group tried to kill 
Kim Il-sung, a Soviet officer named Yakov Nevichenko, saw the grenade and sacrificed himself by throwing his body on top of it, and it saved Kim Jong-il's life. Uh, and then this guy, the Russian, uh, Nevichenko, had a large book strapped to the front of his chest as a kind of body armor. It saved his life, too. And then that made him, I think, the first Russian to receive the title of North Korean National Hero, and Eternal Comrades reenacts the events of that day. Genius. Is it? Well, you know, <laughs> in, in terms of it being just uh, wild. Yeah, and it's weird because you can't see, you can see clips of these on YouTube and if you want to watch them, but it's very difficult to find the full copy of these in, you know, entirely English forms. Or at least I, I looked around a little. I was having a tough time. So if you find a clip of a, of a good North Korean propaganda film, send it our way. Post it on Ridiculous Historians. And I have a surprise for you, Noel. Give it to me, Ben. So we know that the Kim dynasty is able to exert tremendous influence on the country. And that means that, let's say, if uh, Kim Jong-il really wants a movie industry, then he can make the entire country help support him in this endeavor, right? Oh, of course, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, there's a new leader in town, Kim Jong-un, and Kim Jong-un has an obsession of his own. In fact, just recently... North Korea officially urged all of its citizens to make the country a basketball powerhouse. North Korean state media has declared basketball to be a critical part of the state's ideology and called on all workers and soldiers to turn the nation into a global leader in the sport of basketball. Interesting. It's no coincidence, perhaps, that Kim Jong-un is himself a huge fan of basketball, a situation so surreal that it led to Dennis Rodman essentially functioning as a diplomat. Do you remember that when it oh, popped up in the very, news? Very, very much so. I believe, isn't there a documentary or at least a short about Dennis Rodman's behavior and the way he went to Korea? I think there is. Yes, that's correct. Uh, so far, I think... I think as of December 2018, he's paid five visits to the capital of North Korea and even serenaded Kim Jong-un with a rendition of Happy Birthday during a basketball game. So am I saying that if you were good at basketball, watch out because you might be kidnapped by North Korea? No. But you're not not saying it. I'm not not saying it is the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so uh, let let us know. Um, look, North Korea is a, is a fascinating country. Luckily, uh, it's much less isolated now due to the rise of technology. You know the the uh, increasing access people have to the internet through mobile phones and things like that. There are gross and ongoing human rights abuses in the country, and in many ways, it is a black hole. And much of what we know about North Korea comes from people who have left the country, who have defected for one reason or another. Today's episode examined the, uh, the very strange story of the people who went in the other direction. Would you ever do it? Casey, Noel, would you ever, would you ever defect to a... Uh, a distant, maybe not U.S.-friendly country if it meant you could live as a king? Why not? <laughs> you know, YOLO. 
<laughs> All right. Well, tell us which country we should defect to. Thank you so much for tuning in. We would like to hear your North Korea facts, the strange trivia that you have found about it. Uh, you can share that with us and your fellow listeners on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We also recommend uh, Ridiculous Historians, our community page, which is just chock full of ridiculous, scrumptious his- history. Chock a block. It's yes, it's, it's history a, nuggets is what I like to call them. There we go. There we go. It, it's chock full of good old history nuggets. Big thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Big thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. And of course, thanks to Gabe, our research associate. And you know what? Uh, as we always say, thanks. Thanks to you, Noel. Ben, I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. And I whip that right across this net. That it, this non-existent net, this imaginary net that's in the middle of our podcasting table, right back at you, buddy. Man, if we didn't spend so much money on that Quister grandfather clock, we could have an actual net. We could be playing ping pong while we're doing the show. That's a lot of multitasking, man. <laughs> that's a lot of multitasking. I know. I have to learn how to work this puppet before tonight, so oh, I got to get out of here. You were really working that <laughs> puppet a little while ago, weren't you, Ben? We'll post it. We'll post it somewhere on social, but we do actually have a puppet in the studio with us today. Yeah, and it's weird. When you see a puppet that does not benefiting from the, uh, the, the hand of the puppeteer, it's just kind of slumped over in a chair... It's a little bit unnerving. It's a little bit unnerving. Uh, but maybe we'll even make a propaganda video for Ridiculous History with this puppet. Maybe we can kidnap other podcasters to get them to help us out. This is getting crazy. Uh, we should probably just call it a day. I agree. See you next time, folks. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.